Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Hello, and thanks for listening to today's episode. In fact, thanks for listening to any or all of the episodes that you have so far. It's really fun making this podcast, and it's just nice to know that people are out there taking time out of their day to listen to it. It means a lot to us. So you're appreciated, and I hope you know that. I also wanted you to know that the show notes for today's podcast are online at othersidepodcast.com slash 18. And without further ado, here's Mike and a discussion with a very cool special guest. We're here with um, a Wisconsin legend tripper and paranormal researcher and uh, all, all, all in all an expert on weird stuff, Chad Lewis. For our listeners, why don't you do a quick introduction to um, a little bit about what you do and the, and the different kinds of stuff that you're into. Sure. My background is actually in the field of psychology. But for the last 20-some years, I've been traveling the world in search of the strange and unusual. I mean, I like anything from ghosts, UFOs, crop circles, out-of-body experiences, uh, alien abduction, you name it. If it's weird and bizarre, you know, I travel the world and the states in search of it. Okay, cool. And where are you from originally? Yeah, I'm from Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Yes. And I actually blame Wisconsin for my interest in the paranormal because... We have three UFO capitals of the world in Wisconsin. and I grew up not too far from Elmwood, which is one of those. And that's what got me interested in UFO sightings. People believed they were having all these sightings back in the 70s and 80s. And then when I started investigating in the early 90s, they were still going on. So that's how I really got involved with paranormal research. That, that's awesome. And that's fun. So I've been to Elmwood and the UFO days and stuff like that. And it's funny... Um, our band is actually playing at uh, uh, Belleville, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. next week, and they are another UFO uh, capital that they have a whole UFO party and stuff like that. Have you been down for theirs yet? I have. I've been to the Bellevue and then the one in Dundee and then Elmwood. And you know, back in the day, most of the them really had more UFO content. They would have speakers and talk about the UFO history of these places. And over the years, they kind of gone away from that a bit. And it's mostly, you know, a parade in a beer tent, which may account for some of the sightings. But I think some of these are now getting back more to the core of looking at why they were based on UFOs. So, yeah, I love these UFO festivals. They're a great time. You can go and get a UFO burger and all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah, and and I I don't know of any other state besides Wisconsin that has the three different UFO capitals. Like I, that, I don't know if that's a thing of pride for everybody else, but it certainly is a thing of pride for me. I know several other states have UFO watchtowers. One of the more well-known is out in Colorado where they built a big tower out in the middle of the, the, the desert there watching for UFOs. But in terms of actually having UFO capitals, yes, we have three of them. Very cool. <laughs> that's great. That's great. So uh, you've written several different books, uh, Chad, and we could talk about any any number of them. But I, I think today would be a good launching point 
is uh, since since our show is about that intersection of paranormal and pop culture, and we deal we talk, we talk about the media all the time. You know, uh, our our election special was about the lizards that rule the world. Um, yes, but. But, you know, I thought we could talk a little bit about your book about the hidden headlines of Wisconsin and crazy kind of uh, newspaper articles that uh, have appeared in different newspapers. And Because you, you've done one for Wisconsin and one for Iowa, too? I did one Wisconsin, one Texas, and one New York that are out now. Okay, okay. So you've done th- three different books just on the, the crazy headlines. And can you elaborate on that for a little? Because I think everybody thinks of when they, they with the internet, obviously, you're not always going to believe everything you read on Gawker. But when you look at the Milwaukee Journal or the Minneapolis Star Tribune or something like that, you, you tend to believe what they say. Like, why, uh, what, why did newspapers have these crazy headlines? Well, remember, back in the day, and the time period that I looked at was from the late 1800s, early 1900s. And this was pre-internet. I was looking um, for history about different buildings and places for a different book on haunted places. And this was on the microfilm or microfiche at a library. You had to go there, insert the film of the daily paper you wanted, and then look through it on the big machines. And Mm -hmm. um, while I was looking for research, I would often run across strange headlines out there that just caught my attention. You know, something like a chicken with a human face or uh, a couple asked (laughs) police to rid their house of ghosts. And I would print these stories out for my own amusement. And then I started compiling a stack of them where I said, what happened? What would happen if I went through day by day through these newspapers looking for bizarre stories. So that's what I started doing. Just going through day by day, Wisconsin papers, looking for weird stories of you know, anything from bizarre deaths to weird people, to UFOs, to mysterious creatures. And I was amazed at how many I found, but you have to keep in mind that back at that time period, newspapers really were the combination of, you know, Facebook, uh, People Magazine, TMZ, mm-hmm. all of these things. It was where not only people went to get their news, but their gossip as well. And that's exactly right, because um, that was the uh, the biggest form of, of education for of a lot of these you know people in the 19th century and stuff like that. Like we just think, well, we're just going to jump online and see. Um, and, and see what's going on. But, I mean, back then, you would have different editions of the newspaper, right? Like, there'd be a morning edition and an afternoon edition, and so people would be able to keep up on the current event. I mean, newspapers would change within the day and as stories would update and stuff. Like, you know, hot off the press, or you think of a newspaper kid or something like that saying extra, extra, because that was an extra edition. Um, and, and I think that's a great way to put it, that, you know, that was... That was how people gossiped. It's how they got their information, and it's how they developed their opinions on things. So it's all the more shocking when you see you hear the stuff about the chicken and everything. Um, and newspapers become a, a you know a big basis of uh, the Madison Ghost Tour um, that I run, or the uh, Milwaukee Ghost Tour that my sister runs. That a lot of it all comes from. Uh, these great stories from the late 19th century and the early 20th century. So, what's one of your favorites when you you know when you're talking about it? When you think when you think about this, what's what's one of the ones that gets you right away that you're like, oh man, this is one of my favorites. Well, I like myself two things. I like the mysterious uh, animals or mysterious creatures. 
they would call them usually a monstrosity back then or uh, a wild man. And the wild man stories are, are some of my favorite because they come in two categories. One is the, the hermit that people live out in the woods by themselves and they, they have long whiskers or a beard as we now call it. And they would be seen in tattered clothes and scaring women and, uh, you know, they were thought to be terrifying men, but then others would mean wild men of what we might consider Bigfoot creatures. These giant eight foot tall covered in a thick bushy matted down hair that would be seen yeah. in the outskirts of town and posses would gather around and try to hunt these things down. And there are so many reports of it must have been a, a slow time because these hunting expeditions, I wish I was around back then because people would just gather with their rifles and say, let's go hunt that wild man. <laughs> and th- what a great legend trip that would be. You know, like, like we're going to go hunt the wild man they talked about in the newspaper. That, that time period was just so much fun because it really was, especially the early 1900s, it was when science was really coming into its own, that the Harley Davidson just started coming out, the motorcycle crayons were just uh, coming out. But yet, species were being found too. The mountain gorilla was officially discovered. So people were saying, why couldn't a sea serpent be in my lake? Because there's a huge monster ape running around the jungle. What, what's the difference? Right. No. And, and, uh, and that's absolutely right. And so a lot of our, uh, you know, great, um, stories come from come from that era i mean we talk about it i don't know if you got if you have anything about the uh madison lake monster in your um in the in the hidden headlines of wisconsin book yes i have the monona and mendota lake ones the madison lake monster i mean became a uh a fixture of university life like people would talk about it it became an unofficial mascot for you know for the for the university of wisconsin in the, in the early part of the um 20th century and that just it it all just feels so ridiculous and fun that um i don't know sometimes i wish our newspapers did a little bit of that stuff now it it was and newspapers back then for the most part took it seriously of course there was a lot of tongue-in-cheek and if a sea serpent was sighted in wisconsin which at that time there were about two dozen rivers and streams and lakes that all were thought to be inhabited by a monster and of course, some newspapers would say, what are the people of Madison drinking down there? But for the most part, people <laughs> took it seriously, and it was a, an expedition to find out what, what was going on. Whereas today, you know, you may get an article in the, the new local newspaper, but that's it. There's no follow-up. There's no real investigation. It's just kind of a, a fluff piece. Speaking of investigation, as you know, that is something you have a, a specialty in, Chad. Do sometimes people call you like they would call Ghostbusters or something like that? Like people who, who have weird things have happened in their life. Um, have you had people call you about that? Yes. On average, I'll get about 200 uh, emails or calls a week from people around the U.S. Just a couple of days ago, I received a report from a woman who believed a spirit pushed her husband down the stairs and was tormenting everybody. Um, so we get these reports, uh, quite often, especially in the last 10 years, you know, 20 years ago, people were more hush hush about it, that they didn't want to seem like they were crazy, but thanks to the media and almost every television show on TV dealing with the paranormal, that more people feel comfortable coming forward saying I've had something happen that I just can't explain. As compared to, um, 
you know, a newspaper in the 19th century or something like that, where the reporter would just be like, okay, let's, you know, let's interview this person. Let's write it up. I mean, what do you, when you investigate something, when you, when you pick something for an investigation, how do you prepare for it? How do you keep it scientific? Like what are some of the first steps that you do when you're preparing yourself for a investigation of something that might be uh, an anomaly? Sure. Especially with something like, uh, let's say a haunting at someone's house, because it's something that's ongoing. UFO sightings, Mm -hmm. usually that's in the past. Somebody saw it, they're calling you by the time you investigate, it's already, the duration has expired. So, with a, something like a haunting, I usually try to tell people to keep a journal for a while of what's happening, when it's happening, to try to devise a pattern that sometimes these things will happen three nights in a row and then never happen for four months and then start up again. And so I try to get people to, to make a detailed journal to maybe try to find some sort of pattern to these, these uh, activities that are, are going on. But for the most part, you know, a pre-witness, the interview the witness beforehand, get a feel of what's going on. And then, like all my investigations, whether it's hauntings, UFOs, Bigfoot creatures, I like to go to the actual place to visit. Okay. And you can write about haunted places, but actually visiting, as you know from doing the tours, there's nothing like being there to get a sense of the surroundings, what's happening, why they're seeing it. What could be an explanation for it? And one thing that I think surprises a lot of people is that more and more I'm finding myself out on these legend trips or investigations with less and less equipment. And that, of course, my colleagues still bring a, a ton of equipment. But what I discovered is that when I would go to these places, especially legend, legend tripping, you know, just going there for the legend, the, the adventure and the, the, you know, the roadside motels and that, is that I would, I would mm-hmm. spend so much time setting up all this equipment, monitoring it, and tearing it down that I missed out on the whole legend aspect of it. Sure, and, and, the, and the fun part of actually going there in the first place, which is to experience and breathe that same air and, and walk on the same ground as these things that you heard and read about. That's exactly right, and I think that's why legend tripping is so popular for people these days is that you know, they're heading out to Bray Road to see if the, the werewolf, the beast of Bray Road's out there. And if, if they don't see it, uh, you know, yeah. they're heading to uh, Green Lake, to uh, the cemetery there to be pushed off of the mausoleum, you know, at Dartford Cemetery. And, and it's those kind mm-hmm. of things that are almost tests of bravery or rites of passage now that people are doing. They're not necessarily out there looking to dig up new re- research or interview witnesses they're there to experience the legend and you know and just for uh anyone listening that might not know what a a legend legend tripping is um legend tripping is going to a place where you've heard some kind of urban legend or folklore or or something like that and trying to experience it for yourself or even just walking the same ground do you think that i think the first time i've heard the term legend tripping actually um was you said it like either in one of your books or one of your uh, radio shows or something like that, Chad. So am I doing it justice there? Yeah, very much so. I think of it as the adventure of it. It's basically taking a trip to the legend, like you said. But for me, it's a little bit more than that. It's getting off the main roads, taking the back roads. Maybe you'll accidentally stop at a roadside attraction, the world's biggest ball of twine or one of these gravity spots that you might find. So 
the things incorporating that too. And as I mentioned, it's eating at local diners and talking to the locals about the legends, staying at these little mom and pop motels. And I do a lot of legend tripping with uh, Wisconsin researchers, uh, Kevin Lee Nelson and Noah Voss. And when the TV show Supernatural came out on the CW or whatever it was back then, you know, oh, yeah. the Sam and Dean Winchester characters, Kevin and Noah were upset. They said, they're stealing our story. This is what we do. <laughs> and they're making millions off of it. And it's basically what uh, we were doing the whole time. Oh, that's great. You know, and for somebody who's, you know, we were just, you were talking about um, equipment a second ago. And you're like, you find yourself carrying less and less equipment. And um, I think this would be a good uh, for anyone who's interested in doing a you know a legend trip or uh, getting out there and doing a little bit of an amateur investigation into something weird, what would you recommend? What's the first few things you would recommend bringing along? You know, what's your don't leave home without it kit? That's a great question, and I think people are again surprised because they watch all the TV shows of the ghost groups and they think if I don't have twenty five thousand dollars in equipment, I can't go out and do credible research and maybe it was from my looking back at these stories in the old newspapers where people would set up investigations by candlelight sprinkling flour on the floor to make sure nobody walked by. For me, without a doubt, the best thing I've ever invested in is a journal or notebook. Uh, interviewing witnesses who I've learned really quick, they don't like recordings. They don't want to be recorded talking about it. So you can interview witnesses, take down notes, directions. Um, I've started campfires with a, a journal. So it's really indispensable. And people always laugh thinking I'm going to say an EMF meter, uh, night vision camera, something of that nature. When for me, a journal and then a camera just to document things. Not only if something were to happen to you, God forbid you see a Bigfoot and you don't have a camera, but also to document your legend of it. You know, you break down on the side of the road and it's fun uh, taking a photo of your buddy trying to change the tire and, and things of that nature. So for me, it's a journal and camera. And then whatever you want to place on top of that, whether it's motion detectors, a thermal scan to pick up temperature differences, an EMF meter, spirit box, whatever you want, Above that is just gravy for me. Okay, that's uh, no, that I think that's some great tips. Now, speaking of cameras, like now we uh, everybody usually has a camera in their pocket now with their smartphone, right? Yes. Um, are there any particular apps that you've seen that you can recommend to people who are uh, any anything that you've seen that's just a great paranormal app? Yeah, I like a lot of apps. Um, a new app that I haven't uh, tried out yet, I've just been uh, uh, researching, is the thermal imaging apps you can get for your phone that, you know, years years ago, you if you wanted to see temperature differences and, and picking up something that might be moving in the woods, you had to have a thermal camera, thousands of dollars. Okay. And now you can get the attachment for your phone and the app that you can start to see thermal imaging right on your smartphone. And I think that's one of the, and at a price that I think a lot of people can get involved with. So I think that's going to change quite a bit as well. But you have to be, you have to be a bit careful because after a program, one uh, lecture I was doing, a woman came up to me and said, take a look at this photograph on her smartphone. And it showed her uh, standing there with what appeared to be an apparition next to her. I said, well, send it to me. I'd like to take a look at it on the computer. 
And she went home that night and emailed me saying, I'm very sorry. I didn't know that my daughter had put an app on my phone that inserts spirits into all your photos. <laughs> and this isn't new. I mean, there used to be, if you used to go to tourist places, you could buy Polaroid or 35 millimeter disposable cameras that took pictures with ghosts in them as well. Mm-hmm. But this is just the new high tech version. And sometimes people get it inserted on their phone and they, and they don't realize. Sure. And of course there are so many apps now and sites, mobile sites that tell you where hauntings are that you can go to these sites, wherever you're positioned around the U S and it'll show you what's right in your own backyard. And you can do that with hauntings. Uh, you can sign up for the mutual UFO networks, UFO app that will alert you when there's any new UFO reports. Oh, that one sounds awesome. And there's roadside attraction ones as well. If you're up in Duluth, Minnesota and you pop on and say, what is there for me to see around here? It'll tell you, you know, what the, the local legends are right in that area. So it's really, if you're a legend tripper today, you have it much easier than we had it 20 years ago. And we had it much easier than they did 40 years ago. We're talking about photos and stuff. And since so much of our photography is digital now, orbs. The orbs are everywhere. You know, people always talk about them, say as evidence of something weird and things like that. And I was just wondering what your take on an orbs are. I just went on the Anoka ghost tour. They, they talked about orbs like, yep, that's evidence of ghosts. And I just want to know what you think. Yes, Anoka, Minnesota, which is ironically the Halloween capital of the world. Yes. And yes, um, back when you were using 35 millimeter film with a negative and you could have it analyzed, we didn't see as many orbs as we do on digital no. and we still saw them a lot, but not quite as much. And that may be something with just how the camera operates, but I'm like you where it started coming out much like a lot of the ghost research that orbs were spirit activity and some websites, you know, if you really want to go crazy, just Google orbs and you'll find sites that'll tell you shit and colors mean different things. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's much like getting a spike on an EMF meter, which all of a sudden that means it's a, a spirit activity. And I always say, when did this start? How do we know? Why isn't it that these orbs are fairies or unicorns? You know, why, why are they spirits? We have no proof whatsoever that any of this means it's a spirit. I, I wish 20 years ago I would have invested in EMF makers. <laughs> right. You know, or tri-field uh, makers or, you know, uh, EVP recordings. And I think we get carried away with these, these orbs that maybe they are spirits. I don't know. Maybe they're dust. Maybe they're moisture. Maybe they're a combination of all of that. But I think we really get into some dark water when we start saying that a red orb means the spirit's angry and a blue orb means it's a relative on your mother's side. <laughs> Well, that's exactly, you know, that's exactly right. It always seems like people can talk about these things um, that have to do with the paranormal with, with such expertise and such, uh, they can talk about it with just like, like they know exactly what's going on. And that's, that's sometimes that's when you lose me because it's like, I, you might know what's going on, but I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I'm right with you. And I always say that after 20 some years of doing this, I'm left with more questions than answers that when I get a case where I think I figured something out, I'll get a new case that puts me right back to square one that 
And sometimes I think it's getting back to the media here. I, I mean, I tell people I've done maybe a dozen different shows and some of them have been pretty good. They want the real history, the background, the legend where others want more of a script they have planned of how the story should go. And people often ask, you know, what should we put in these? What should we make of them? The trustworthiness and the credibility of these shows. And I always say, watch them for entertainment. Don't bet the bank on them. Don't base your investigation on what you see on television. Just watch it like you're watching any other show and just, you know, as entertainment. And ex what, what particular shows, though, do you feel that maybe are the best representation of investigation that, uh, that you've seen as a, as a veteran investigator? Yes. Well, I don't, I have to confess, I don't watch a lot of the paranormal shows. But to answer your question. You live it. Yeah. You live I it. I mean, I've been doing this 20-some years, I, especially with the hauntings. I've investigated thousands upon thousands of cases in 12 different countries. And I have yet to have something where I would say that's 100% paranormal. A lot of weird things happen. A lot of things that make me wonder and question whether it was something natural or paranormal. But out of all the cases I've investigated and talking to some of my colleagues who have been doing it 40 years, it's the same deal. And then when you see these shows where something's happening, every episode, something small may happen, but big things happen as well. And I'm thinking either they're doing something everybody else is not doing, or there's something fishy here. So the TV shows that I've dealt with and that I've been on and that I have seen, I think all of them are set up for entertainment. I've done interviews for TV shows and about one case, and they've cut and pasted that into a different case. <laughs> because when you sit down for these shows, you know, in order to even be on them, you have to sign a waiver saying they can do whatever they want with the interview. Right. And that's just standard right. practice. And for the most part, that's fine because you don't want to have to nitpick everything and they film for three hours and use two minutes. And I think that's a really good point when you're talking about, I mean, the media in, in any kind of thing is like, take everything with a grain of salt, you know, a reality television, um, you know, someone I know that was on a, a very famous MTV reality show was talking about how he was caught crying doing something. And uh, they, they made that, you know, the tears part of where he had broken up with his girlfriend in the show or whatever, but it really was like his mother passing away. Yes. You know, that he, he has this horrible moment in his life and they just take it and they stick it wherever they think it'll be good in the story. And that's exactly the same thing they do with the, the paranormal shows that I've watched shows and I've seen them interview witnesses that I've interviewed before. And then they'll recreate it or tell the story. And I say, that's not accurate, but it's understandable because they're in the business of entertainment. They're not uh, trying to set the record straight and be a uh, documentary. They're there to entertain people. What are some of the um, paranormal blogs or news sites that you'd recommend people to check out that you feel are uh, the best of their class? You know, the, the least sensational, the most informational, and the most useful to, to a, someone who's a serious researcher like yourself. Well, I love Lauren Coleman's new crypto zoo news or whatever he calls it. You can go to Lauren Coleman's site and his cryptozoology, uh, when he posts stuff, it's really good. It's really accurate. I like Crypto Mundo. Oh, yeah. Um, they have a, a great site, but it's mostly Bigfoot stuff. And outside of those two, 
you know, uh, Nick Redfern, who's a, a famous researcher down in Texas now, he has a great blog site, his uh, Nick Redfern's World of Whatever. <laughs> and uh, he doesn't um, uh, pander to the, the masses. He has a, a great website. So I would recommend those three if you just want good news without it being too, you know, Hollywood, if you will. Absolutely. Nick, no, Nick Redfern's one of my favorites. I, uh, I took Three Men Seeking Monsters on a trip to the UK a few years back and, you know, visited some of the same spots. And uh, really, I, it, was, it was super fun going on a legend trip with some of his, his stuff in tow. And talking about media, how can there not be a movie of Three Men Seeking Monsters? I know, that'd be a great, that would be a great movie. Uh, pub I, after pub. I, I know. And plus, uh, I mean, it would be great to see it done by the, like the Shaun of the Dead guys or something like that. You know, uh, Edgar, Edgar, Edgar Wright directs uh, Nick Frost and um, Simon Pegg. That would, I mean, I can just see, I can just see them doing a version of that. But, you better uh, uh, patent this idea because this is brilliant. I know. I was going to say I could, I could work on the script and send it right in. Chad, where can people see you next and where can they find you so that uh, they can get a little bit more about the unexplained and, and what you do? Sure. Uh, just type my name in with Paranormal on Google. You'll find several of my sites. But I always you know, half-jokingly say that. Go out there and explore and find the weirdest spots around. And the weirder it is, the more likely you'll find me there. <laughs> That's exactly right. And so, uh, anyway, I know I'm going to have to ask you back and ask you about the Chupacabra because I love Puerto Rico and I- I'm going to have to get in touch with you. I'm going to have to talk about it and find out where I should go visit this time around. Uh, so, thank you very much for your time, Chad. Uh, we really appreciate it. Hey, keep an eye out. And since today's discussion was all about the media and the immediacy of newspapers and blogs, we thought we'd include a Sunspot song about how things in life are often temporary. This song is called Ephemeral.
Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side.